first and foremost, I want to say thank you to my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I said those who bring evil against me will not prosper. I said those who stand in the dark can never come into the light. All praise be to the one and only true God, Jesus Christ. Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to take care of this before we really get into the text, just so it's not forgotten. You'll see that there's a unicorn uh, in the text. And you have an option for how you view the world. Right? So, you all believe in dinosaurs. Probably. Probably at least 95% of you believe in dinosaurs. And, good to see you. And, uh, and you believe in dinosaurs because some government school teacher showed you pictures of them. Some government school teacher who pulled C's all the way through grade school. And... As Norm MacDonald would say, whose only requirement for her job was to have the intelligence one grade higher than your grade at the time, told you about dinosaurs and showed you a picture book of dinosaurs. Some skeletons that got modeled as dinosaurs. And I'm not saying one way or the other if dinosaurs are real. That's not the point. But you believe in them simply because of that. Go figure. You believe a lot of things just because of that. Well, the Bible just talked about unicorns. And you probably don't believe in unicorns. Isn't that interesting? So, Psalm 29. Uh, it presents us with uh, a, a context. A, a lot of the Psalms, when we're reading them, you'll get 
a little uh, at the top historic superscription that, that gives you historical context for why David was writing what he was writing. Now, all we have with this one is it's, that it's a psalm of David, but the content of the psalm gives you not an immediate historic background for the particular psalm, but it gives you the historic background for the psalm. And it's an historic background of, of chaos, of loud, all-consuming chaos. And that is something that terrifies you. Chaos terrifies you. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a lady, you, you married the most powerful man you could find to keep you from the chaos, to keep the chaos at bay, whether through the strength of his body or the size of his wallet, wielding it to keep the chaos at bay. But, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey, uh, wise cultural sage that he is, you know, uh, this week was talking about impending hyperinflation. Impending hyperinflation. You know, the, the, the dollar bills that your man uses to keep material chaos at bay are devalued in truth and are like Jonathan Edwards' spider on a thin spider web hanging over a lake of fire. The, the idea of the dollar stability to be brought down in an inferno as soon as the right people realize what the truth is. And then all bets are off. And then, then you can look to all sorts of historic societal examples that fell under the weight of hyperinflation all the way from uh, you know, the Weimar Republic to Somalia. And you can picture your life there and you're afraid if you, if you really think about that or know those things. Mass starvation. You know, maybe, for example, there's, there's not many reasons you'd put up with a lug like this, right? But you probably are attracted to his bodily strength. And as surprise, he doesn't believe this, but everyone else in the room knows. Somebody out there is stronger, right? And if not... If not one man, if there was not one man to match, somebody has probably tamed and trained a gorilla. Or a host of men. Or an injury takes away his strength and a breath, and you're totally exposed to chaos. Utter chaos. We're terrified of chaos. We're, we're impressed with those that stare it down and seek to harness it. So we'll watch TV shows about the most dangerous catch. Men riding on waves that rise as tall as buildings that are tall. We'll go and be entertained at a rodeo, right? Because what's a picture of chaos? That bull. Just rippling with power. Jumping far higher than the most athletic man in the NBA could. And there's a guy who intentionally goes sits on him. We're impressed with that. But we're, we're impressed at a distance. You know, once that bull 
breaks any kind of barrier and joins the populace, we're afraid. We're terrified of chaos. Psalm 29, the point of Psalm 29 for you today is that there is no chaos for you. There is no such thing as chaos for you, properly speaking. No chaos. No matter what you face experientially, it is not, properly speaking, chaos for you. So, let's look at the text. We're going to start in the first couple verses, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll move to 3 through 9 and end with 10 through 11. Verses 1 and 2. In these two verses, uh, the, they both start with the word give, right? So we've got a command. David is giving a command, and he's giving it to a particular group of people, right? And verse 1 tells us who this group is. O ye mighty, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord. So who, who is the mighty, right? Because without specificity... You could, uh, I mean, we're all image bearers of God. In a sense, man has quite impressive mass, uh, might across the board. Who's he speaking of? Is he speaking of all mankind, right? Because all mankind obviously ought to give God glory. We know that. Well, the, the mighty here, we have a clue as to who they are, uh, by the the next chunk of verses 3 through 9 that talk about a flood. And this is not this is not any kind of evidence of intelligence. You can just look this up. The word flood appears in this psalm and everywhere else it appears in the Old Testament. It appears, you know, around the flood. The flood you think of. So, of the 13 times that flood is specifically mentioned in the Old Testament. Twelve of them show up in chapters 6 through 11 of Genesis. Uh, and so from that, I think it is safe to conclude that when David is writing, he is particularly thinking of the flood, the great flood. And if that's the case, then I think it's also safe to include that when he's speaking of the mighty, He's particularly speaking of the mighty in Genesis 6. So if you want, you can turn there. There is a group of mighty in Genesis 6. Verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men 
and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So uh, there is a group of great men that recognize there is a pool of women out there, not properly belonging to their pool, that are very attractive. And shockingly, they choose to go take the ones they think are attractive. Now there's debate as to who the original rebels here are. We know that whatever they do is bad. It's rebellion. Whatever they do here is rebellion uh, because it kicks off the events that will lead to a global flood. That's not, so it's not a good thing. What they do is not good. It makes sense. It doesn't make it good. It'd be like an Israelite going out with a Moabite test. makes total sense. No one's going to question it. No one questions Delilah on one level. It doesn't make it good. I'm not saying she's a Moabite test, but she's a type. Uh, there's debate between whether these are angels that determine human women are very fair to look upon and decide to take them and then reproduce with them, uh, which is a consequence of their taking them. And then they produce giants and titans. Right? So some, some believe this is the actual origin of, uh, you know, if you look at various mythologies, there, there are a lot of mythologies that talk about these beings that are higher than mere men, supermen, superheroes. So even so, obviously, by the word I chose, even secular societies have superhero lore. And so some would say this is the origin of that ingrained in these cultures because there was a time when these mighty men were quite prevalent uh, in the earth. Others are going to say uh, that these are the faithful sons of Seth rejecting their birthright of uh, a righteous culture in favor of the uh, sensual delights offered by the women who come from Cain. And, uh, you know, both positions make sense. One is a little bit more fantastic and interesting. There's good arguments for both. Regardless, you have a group of the strong, the mighty in the earth, who rebel against God, and in their rebellion, they use their position to rebel, their rebellion brings about the destruction of the globe. And so, when we're in Psalm 29, that's who we're looking at contextually. We're looking at the strong, and then, uh, you know, derivatively, as David writes at his time, many years later, you could say that any of the, the mighty, the lords of the earth, the rulers among men, would derivatively uh, be, David would be speaking to them in connection with these mighty rebels of old. These are men to whom much has been given. Much power and strength and glory has been given to them. 
and they are not using what has been given to them uh, for the glory of God. They are using what God has given them uh, for their own ends, for wicked ends. And it's one of those times where the, the relevance of Scripture is quite obvious for us because we can think of many strong in the land, in the earth, who use their resources for great evil. And uh, we'll get to what we should think about them. But for example, I, don't, I can't remember if this was a joke. I don't think it was a joke, which makes it a better joke. But, uh, you know, old Tony, Tony Fauci, world's sexiest man. That was the real thing, right? Time's sexiest man, people's sexiest man. He's really sexy. That's all you need to know. Anthony Fauci, uh, the inventor of AIDS and COVID. So a great accomplisher. You, and you could verify that. You're an expert. And, uh, you, you know, uh, his, he was the director of NIH. And you know how he was funding research where they would uh, take the scalps of babies when they were alive and then sew them onto the uh, backs of rats and see how long they could grow human hair. And then, because no one learned from that whole mid-1940s period not to take pictures of certain things you do. You know, they took pictures of it and you can just Google them. You see these little rat backs with human hair. Little baby toupees from living babies just prior to them being scalped alive, like Indian style, and then put on rats. Uh, which is obviously a really respectful thing to do with the corpse, you know, of a slain baby. And, uh, you know, the one thing that will get people more mad than killing a baby is killing a puppy. You know, you really want to get people worked up, kill a puppy. Because obviously puppies are cuter than babies. Which, as an aside, from the drop they are, and then babies surpass them shortly thereafter. But... You know, Tony didn't stop with the baby scalp thing. Uh, you know, he also funded, this came out this week, and you're supposed to be enraged by it. Don't be. I know you think I want you to be. You, you actually don't be. Uh, he funded research in some Middle Eastern country. And those countries are really known for having their elevated cultures, you know. Uh, it, took, it took beagles... Did you see photos of this? Yeah, it took beagles and locked them up in boxes so that their bodies are out of the box, but their head is in a box. A beagle head in a box. So there was a hole in a box, and they put the beagle head into the box. And they, they locked the beagle up. And then they filled the boxes with, I think, sandflies that were described as hungry sandflies. I don't know how they determined that. Grant, you would probably know. They knew. They filled the box with hungry sandflies, and then just kind of watched as the flies, not kind of, they did. They watched, and it took notes, observational notes for science, of the beagle heads being devoured. So obviously, eventually, you just have the beagle body. And I'm sure there's plenty of uses for that. Um, can you imagine them doing that to Otis? And see, I'm not telling you that to make you mad, actually. I'm not, surprisingly. So here's a guy, Tony Fauci. I'm sure he's got 
high IQ, a smart guy. He's been given much resource. He obviously has been given much money, a lot of power and position, and this is what he's doing with it. The world is full of such examples. That is a very ho-hum thing. We just try to be ignorant of the evils of the mighty of our day. Uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. But every once in a while, it comes across your Instagram feed. David is telling such men, stop that. Stop being a thief. Everything you have, you have from the Lord. Right? We could say it of Pharaoh, right? Everything you had, Pharaoh, you had from the Lord. Did not God raise you up to your position? Yes, he did. Everything you have is for the Lord. And David is saying, if you're not giving all of your talents, and that's just not abilities, but any resource God has given you, if, you've not, if you're not giving all of your talents to God for his glory in the service of his name because of the terrible beauty of his holiness then you're robbing from him you're a thief a glory thief you should stop you should repent and and many many such mighty men are beyond repentance and David tells them anyway to repent. Stop with your wickedness. Stop fornicating with the fair maidens of men. Give unto God his due. Give him your glory and your strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. It's due him because all you have is from him. It's what the tithe testifies to. It's a percentage representing the fact that you owe him everything you have. Worship him, which is not simply you know, calling these mighty of the earth to church. Right? Again, it's, it's giving God all of the talents he has given you. It's wielding them in service to his purposes for his kingdom. Not in rebellion, but in submission. And it is to be done in the beauty of his holiness. And how are we supposed to understand that? Uh... So if it's, if it's in the beauty of his holiness, I think we can, we can safely say that it is according to his holiness, right? So it's worship him, it's give him service according to his word, right? So mighty, you're living by your own word. You're living by the word of the great dinosaur, the great dragon of old, Satan. Instead, walk according to this creed, the creed of God's word, and serve him. That's what he's calling them to. But I think, I think it's also safe to say, because of what follows, uh, that it is in light of 
the beauty of his holiness. In light of the beauty of the holiness of God, stop your rebellion. Stop. And worship the Lord. And so, when David talks about the beauty of God's holiness, or, you know, if I was going to talk about how, guys, isn't God beautiful? Isn't he beautiful? Imagine, imagine there was a big stage right here, and you guys were a little bit below me, which, as a 5'6 guy, that is a rare experience of life, looking down on people. The lights are dimmed. The fog by now has dissipated from the music, right? We're live streaming global. Because COVID can't stop us, our platform's actually grown because now people in Bahrain are watching. You know what I'm saying? The world, our oyster at this, this church. You know, and we call our church reality or life or something like that. Spotlight, hair gel, this little like lapel mic actually properly put behind me, not dangling in front, all that jazz. And I say, guys, isn't God beautiful? He's so beautiful. What are, what are we going to talk about? Uh, I actually don't know. But, I don't know, maybe... Uh, let's give this guy the best credit possible. We're in Idaho. There's a lot of nature. He's going to talk about the sawtooth. He's going to tell you about the beauty of Goat Lake and how it reflects God's beauty. Right. He's going to talk about a newborn babe. And he'll probably say it's better looking than a puppy. And look at the beauty of a newborn babe. He'll, he'll tell you some proverbs that are really, you know, really there, talking about eagles soaring and the way of a maiden, all this stuff, right? Because the guy in Proverbs also agreed with whoever these mighty guys are, the way of maiden, of ways of maidens are mesmerizing. He'll, he'll talk about those, those nice positive things to think about. Isn't that nice? Right? Here's a bouquet of flowers for you. Feel nice. And he's doing that because he needs his, his world to be a safe space for him. David was kind of crazy. David was crazy. David ascended to the throne by going into a desert and gathering around him an army of renegades. David, when he went and conquered an enemy and had dispossessed them of all ability to resist, as we saw in 2 Samuel, what did he do? This is going to be news for you. Get ready for this. Uh, this after another time, he just lined his foes up in three lines, laid them down along three ropes, and two of the ropes, two of the lines, he just killed them while they were laying there. And then one line, he made slaves. King David, man after God's own heart. And then he gets over to this other place, conquers a bunch of cities, and for the people he doesn't saw in half or hack to pieces with, a, with an axe, he makes them go into a brick kiln, burns them alive. You didn't learn anything in school. You know, if people are doing that, they're the bad guys. And that's David. Holy cow, this guy was crazy. It's right there in the good book. At least it's in your King James Bible. Which is what I mean by the good book. Good enough for Paul. So when David's talking about the beauty of God's holiness, hey, mighty men, don't you know the beauty of the holiness of God? You should worship him. What's he talking about? Well, look at verses 3 through 9. He's talking about chaos. What well, would be perceived by chaos, but really the flood that is the wrath of God unleashed upon his enemies. 
the beauty of His Holiness. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that pristine mountain lake. Look at that pristine. Look at that. Look at that new bride dancing with her husband. That's beautiful. That makes me think of the beauty of God. When I see that, I think of the fact that God, the Creator, is beautiful. Do you guys remember in Indonesia when that big tsunami came through? Right? Vividly remember that? Remember there's people standing there on the beach as the big wave is right there? And, you know, who knows what you would do in that moment? I'd probably been one of them just frozen. It doesn't matter. You're not going to make it anywhere. In their last moments, they stood there on a beach as this mountain of water is in front of them. And we've got video footage of it. The last moment of a living soul's existence on earth. Right there with them. And then they're just consumed. Absolutely consumed and gone forever. Their bodies never retrieved. Gone. David is watching that and he says, look at the beauty of the holiness of God. Look how beautiful God is. The voice of God which created the land and the sea, which created the doe and the unicorn, the cedars and the sequoias, the sawtooth mountains, everything that you think is lovely and dear and precious and great, the voice of the Lord that makes is the same voice that destroyed the world and that continues to send chaos at the mighty who refuse to bend the knee. The voice of the Lord, this is verse 3, Psalm 29.3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. Picture, picture those waters rising, coming for the mighty. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. No calm, pristine day on the lake. A massive, raging and rising sea with thunder that we're going to see shakes the earth. Shakes the forest. The, you know, you're at the beach. You go way inland and find the deepest forest where it's... You ever been into, in, a, in the right kind of forest and it, there's just no noise? It's just dead silent. And when you step, there's no echo. There's the dead pine needles. And it's just magical. It's peaceful, Right? Some places it feels mystical and you wonder if there's witches around. But, you know, you just feel you're in like, you're swaddled by the forest. And God's voice thunders and shakes the forest even there. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Can you not hear him above the waters? Majestic. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. So he brings up the cedars of Lebanon because regionally they're, they're known as one of the most beautiful things out there. And, and in terms of natural beauties, 
one of the most talked about natural beauties of the area in the Bible, the cedars of Lebanon. And, I mean, just consider, uh, well, a couple things with that, but God made them. And they are amazing. You know, if you're from California, there's some trees that are absolutely amazing. If you've gotten to see them in person, blown away. Cedars of Lebanon, so wonderful that they're, they're fitting for a palace. Right? If you want to build the, the most gloriously aggressive mead hall as a Viking king, you want the Cedars of Lebanon there. They're fitting for a temple, the cedars of Lebanon. And they're the pride of the nation, right? Lebanon is proud of its cedars. doesn't have much else to be proud of, but it's got cedars and it's proud. Obviously, every nation has, has a thing that it holds up as its pride and joy. You know, America, uh, we could say our wonderful banking system maybe. Pride and joy of America, a wonderful banking system. This thing that gives glory to the nation. So we've got individuals with glory, the mighty, and then we have a nation with standout glory. And like that, God's voice simply is voice. You know, that we haven't even gotten into other anthropomorphisms, right? We haven't talked about his hands or his arms. Just his voice, the voice that created, snaps your cedar like a toothpick and takes the glory of your nation like nothing. What a warning, right? What a, what a beautiful warning to the mighty and the nations of the mighty that refuse to bend the knee. America, America, God shed his beauty upon thee and snaps thy glory like a toothpick at a moderate quality Mexican restaurant. That kind of toothpick, you know? Just snapped it. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. There's, so this is the first, then there's a second. There's, there's two, uh, two verses here that talk about animals in nature. And, uh, you know, if you've ever seen, uh, well, it was, just, it was just calving season, right? Is that how I refer to it, calving season? So if you're driving, you'll see just a bunch of calves, and they are adorable, right? They're really cute. I mean, you could be around cows your entire life, and you'll pretend to have a lot of chill, but deep down, you know that's adorable. And you'll see them, you know, I was driving the other day, and one just takes off and he's running, just running, because he probably just figured out that he could run really fast. He just discovered what speed he could hit, and he is impressed, and he's just doing it to feel the speed. He's got a need for it. And he's just running around. He's kicking his legs. And then, you know, pull over your car and you go up, make sure it's not an electric fence. That's a good time. You stick your hand through and you, you know, you let that, that little calf suck on your hand. You feel the, the tongue of a baby calf. I mean, that's cute. It really is. You gotta love that time of year, and you, and then you think about how they just give it a little bit of time, and then we're gonna eat them, you know. 
It's just adorable. And then, you know, a little bit later, we're going to see, oh, uh, a doe giving birth to a fawn. You ever seen a fawn? You know, they're all tiny and helpless and so spindly. And, you know, they're going to grow up into one of the most majestic, poetic animals of the forest. Oh, that's good. You can make a cartoon movie about that. Name it Bambi. Okay? But actually, they're, they're brought up not as examples of warm fuzzies, but of t terrible imagery, grotesque imagery, which is shocking. Who is skipping like a calf? All, you know, a little bit gangly, not super well coordinated, jerky, here, there, everywhere. Lebanon and Syrian. Well, no. The, well, you, you could read it either way, but so either, either the cedars are skipping like calves or uh, the nations are skipping like, and, and I would lean this way, skipping like calves, like young unicorns, okay? And so if it's, if it's skipping like calves, like young unicorns, you know, what do you want from a nation? You want stability, right? Because anarchy would be chaos, herky-jerky, kicking, jumping, is chaotic, it's unstable. It's cute when it's a cow or a unicorn. It's not cute when it's a nation. Total instability. Turned on its head. No firm footing. Two solid great nations robbed of all of their stability by this flood. Because it, it, it takes them, you know, and imagine you're in Indonesia and picked up by that tsunami you could just go into the mildest of rapids, right? You know, if you were a, a tour guide, right, for, for rapids, taking people through, and somebody dips off on purpose or otherwise, they're going to go for a ride where they don't have much control. Best they can do is keep their feet forward. And you're, you're taken by water of that strength, of that magnitude, you have no control. You're going to be turned here and there. And that's the picture. It's actually a frightening picture. This picture of a young unicorn, the Lebanese unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. It's chaotic, it's dark, it's loud. You're turned upside down all around. You have no orientation. Every once in a while you can see because of the lightning. The tongues of fire divided. With the, with the thunder over the waters, the light show over the waters, the lightning. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve. You know, why are they giving birth? Well, they're, they're, they are prematurely giving birth out of pure terror as this flood comes down upon them. They're evacuating child in terror. And there is no salvation for them because they are consumed. 
the mighty, the doe, the unicorn, the cedars, the nations, all caught up by this beautiful voice of God. And now here's a shift. So, this is what God is doing to the mighty, their families, and everything around them. Decreating the world with his voice. This is what, when he decides, he can do. Not in the same way. He said he's not going to do it in the same way. But, when he sends it, I don't think the mighty will particularly care that it just so happened wasn't the rainbow thing. And now we have a shift at the end of 9. And in his temple, in God's temple, doth everyone speak of his glory. And there's other parts of the Bible that talk like this, but we've, we've looked at the mighty and then the nations and nature itself being undone by the voice of God. And there's another group, those who dwell with God in his temple and they are mesmerized by his beauty such that it's what they want to talk about. Right? When, when, when something happens that captivates us by its beauty, we want to talk about it. They're captivated by the beauty of the holiness of God, his wondrous ways, his majestic voice, and, and they're speaking about it. They're celebrating the actions of God which we've seen are the, the actions of God, the terrible destruction of the rebels. Verse 10, The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. So, as God is sending this flood speaking over the waters. Where is he? He is enthroned above the waters. And uh, I, I think you should see this as God being represented as being enthroned, sitting uh, there in the ark on the water, overseeing it, commanding it. The, the ark... Right, so we've, we've heard, you know, the ark as Christ. Uh, you know, if you are found hidden in him, though the world is full of the wrath of God, you are covered and protected and brought through the wrath of God in Christ to what? Abundant life. Dominion of the world. But I, I think it's also appropriate to see that as a picture of the temple an early temple picture on the earth where God's people, Noah and his family, are there with God, their king, who's ruling and overseeing this beautiful display of, of majesty and holiness. And they're there with him in his temple speaking of his glory. And uh, th this, this part is We've moved through a severe challenge to the rebels, the threat of chaos for them. 
which is not chaos, but actually channeled wrath from God. And here we have, looking at the same chaos, we experience it completely different. We're not to be terrified. We're not to be terrified, dismayed, stressed, right? And so you're not supposed to, for example, consider impending hyperinflation, which will not be good. Or mad scientists killing puppies with flies, right? Not good. You're not supposed to see that and just be caught up in, in a rage cycle. Because we, the people of God, through Christ in the temple of God, where are we in this psalm? We're sitting on the flood. We're in the ark above the waters. We are, uh, well, okay, so what is God doing? He's riding the waters and perfectly controlling them. Not a bit of it out of his control. And we, he, he's, he's there as the king. Who are we? We're with him as kings and priests. With him, together with him, riding the waters in perfect control. It's not chaos for us. It is God's beautiful holiness filling the world. There for us to take and harness, to ride above and rule through. And, you know, the, the uh, you know, so you get, you get someone who's a liberal, cancerous in the soul, and, and, you know, let's say she ruins her life. And then instead of counseling you to do otherwise so you don't make the same mistake she does, she's going to tell you to go do the same thing, right? Go to college, right? Go to college. I know there's not much context to that. There's a lot of context in my head. And I'm not going to give any context, but we can talk about it. She wants you to ruin your life. And uh, because she doesn't want anyone to be left out, right? If she's, she's not going to bend the knee to Jehovah, she's not going to bend the knee to Jehovah. She doesn't want to serve him. God forbid she, do, she does that. So the best she can do is make sure others go for a swim with her, right? Uh, join me in my uh, delightfully spiced with STD long career of serving a boss to end in bitter barrenness. Join me and be empowered. Right? Fill your life with fake credentials given by fake people who don't give a rip about you. And make sure you live the least memorable life possible for a woman. Because it's wet and I don't want to be alone. And if they can't get you to do that, they want to, they want to steal your mind so you can't rule through the chaos. But you know, maybe you make it through, but you're impotently just being pulled through as you're caught up in this rage cycle. I can't believe what the mighty are doing. 
I'm so scared of the consequences of what the mighty are doing. Oh, what is Klaus Schwab going to do? Is he going to take all my private property and make me happy? I don't want to be happy. Oh, what's Bill Gates going to do? Is he, is he buying up all the land and, and taking all the water resources in America so that I can't ever own anything and I have to, I have to kiss his feet to drink? Or worse, I have to take water that's full of uh, gayifying chemicals. I'd rather kiss his feet. Oh, man! I need to spend hours thinking about that. That'd be bad. What am I going to do? What am I going to do if there's bread lines? Have you seen South Africa? That could happen here. What am I going to do if there's bread lines? I don't have food stored up. I don't, I, I don't even own a cardboard box with carpet without padding in it. There's no pad under the carpet. Oh, Anthony Fauci is using my tax money. Oh, Nampa didn't ban abortion. They're going to keep killing their babies. Oh, oh. We can look at that, or we can look at the beauty of the holiness of God. It's fine. There's a flood. There's a flood. And we're invited through Christ to sit with God on the flood. The chaos that will always come from rebellion. Rebellion always brings chaos. It always brings the flood. It comes not as our enemy. It comes as our chariot. The things coming on the horizon, are our ch they're our chariot to ride. To rule from with strong arms, glittering swords, chins held high, heirs with Christ, kings with him in the earth. Our time. God sits on the flood. He is there as king. And we are with him. Are we not? The Lord, what is guaranteed for your life? Chaos makes you feel disempowered. Nothing, nothing like a bull to make you feel weak. What does God promise you? Strength. Strength. The Lord will give strength unto his people. That is yours. God promises to give it to you. Strength. The, the mighty are objectively mighty, right? That's why they're called the mighty. They really are mighty. But what does their might look like in comparison to the flood? Real might. Apart from the flood, that would be something really worth considering, getting worried about. But the flood kind of takes care of that. Breaks their cedars and flips them upside down like unicorns. And then we, sitting on the flood, we are the strong ones. We are the mighty of the earth. We're Christians. We are the mighty of the earth. Where is there in the world that Christ does not reign as king? Has it not all been given to him? Are we not his brethren? Do we not rule with him? It is our, what can Bill Gates do? Yeah. What, what can Joe Biden do? Why, why would I spend my life thinking about Joe Biden? 
in light of how insignificant he is. The Lord will bless his people. Blessing and strength is yours. Peace is yours. Peace. You want to talk about the antithesis of the flood. You have peace. As they all drown and wail in their death throes. Peace is yours. You know, we saw in previous, right? He prepares a table for you in the presence of his enemies. Peace, strength, blessing. That is your life. That is what you have ahead of you. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. What is your life ahead of you? You think about the future. Oh, that's stressful. What about this? What about this? What about this? Oh, it's going to take me 20 years to buy a house. Oh. If that. You name it. Something you care about that you don't have. That you are afraid you won't have. You've got that thing. You already thought about it. Strength, peace, and blessing upon you and your house. That's a promise. Name it and claim it, baby. And so then what do you do in light of that? Well, a good starting point would be to do what the mighty ought to have done if they repented, right? What talent has God given you? You know what you can't do with that talent if you're worried about Anthony Fauci and his AIDS inventions and his Beagle experimentation? You can't really pour your mind in all of its inventive, high-octane capability to figuring out how to best use your talent for God. You know, think about it, right? Mr. 99, okay? You can get caught up in this rage cycle, or you can get caught up in a fear cycle, or knowing that you're Mr. 99, you can recognize that you're wanting to go into a field that was started by charitable Christians, that was co-opted by wicked corporations that want to enslave the populace with the bribe of the best quality healthcare in the world. Really the best quality healthcare in the world, fact. And they hate everyone. How crazy is that? Hospitals hate people, killing people in mass because they hate them. And if they don't have the opportunity to kill them and get away with it and then get paid for it, making them debt slaves the rest of their lives. That's the system you're going into. But here's the thing, you know that not everyone is gonna get into med school got a 99, right? Somebody had the lowest score. And you know that following med school, somebody's gonna be the lowest student, right? And that guy is not gonna do anything. And if he's a Christian, he'll do what he can with the limited talent he has. But that's not you. That's not what God has given you. What God has given you is a burden, is a duty to pour your mind, your high power mind into figuring out what to do about that, to wield the talent you have in the place he's put you for his glory. What are you going to do to make healthcare loving again? There's all sorts of creative things being done. Right? Like the top doctor at a hospital up in the Moscow area, wouldn't sign off on training mutilation. So he, I think he had to resign. I don't think they fired him, I think he resigned. And he went and he started a Christian medical practice, subscription-based, to get around the hateful insurance guys 
the the corporations just it's like like a relationship based medical practice. I don't know how he thought of it, but something to work with there. But that's your job. That's what you have to do, because you have to use your talents in light of the beauty of God's holiness to serve Him. Each one of you has been given talents by God. And if you're breathing, you, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not on the front end of life. I'm on the back end of life. And it doesn't help anybody to lie about that, right? You know, Grant, if you're an old guy, you're an old guy. You know what I'm saying? You just got to own it. But it's not over. Just because it's fall doesn't mean the winter's come, right? Enjoy the fall. You still have talents to use. It's your job. You are accountable to God as one who sits with him on the flood to wield those talents for his glory as you exercise rule in the earth. If God has made you a man, for example, you are duty-bound to figure out how to be the strongest man you are able to be in all of the relevant ways that that word is properly used, right? For example, cardiovascular strength. Don't worry about that, right? Running's for cowards. But you know what I mean. It's multifaceted, not just the bench press. But the bench press isn't bad. If you're a woman, you are duty-bound to figure out how you are going to beautify and fill the earth with all your days to the most extreme way you can. You've been given talents by your nature to beautify and fill the earth. Do that. Because the mighty aren't. But it's okay because they're getting caught up in the flood. No, there's not going to be a Disney Plus documentary about you. And that's okay because Disney, uh, Disney Plus is transient. You're fine. There'll be longer lasting monuments and rewards for our kind, for our people. For the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, you are king of the flood. You destroy our foes. You give us blessing and strength and peace. And we are grateful. Help us to do our duty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.